You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. He let anger control his actions. Uh, he often was violent in his nature, and he sat on his hands instead of telling the world when God said to go and preach the gospel. He struggled with prejudice, actually, and yet he became one of the most praised and most spoke about characters in all of the Bible. In fact, he's the second most mentioned person in the entire New Testament, second only to Jesus. He went from an angry, self-centered, arrogant, bigoted man to a humble, broken servant of of Christ and a powerful leader, he truly understood the change of God that only comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in this letter, he's writing to people who are in a place of change in their life. Let's take a look at this. First Peter 1, 1, uh, just kind of introduce Peter again. It says, Peter, an apostle, that means messenger of Jesus Christ. He's the, he's a designated messenger, the voice of Jesus to us. And when you got a letter from Peter, you sat up. When you got a letter from Peter, you paid attention. Uh, his apostleship was never questioned in the early church. Um, he says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout. Depending on the translation that you have, some of the words there are to the exiles, to the foreigners, to the pilgrims, the aliens, the strangers, the sojourners. And this is an ongoing theme through First Peter, so we're probably going to hit this almost every week, and that is this. In Christ, you have a different citizenship. In Christ, you have a different citizenship. Paul says, remember, you're just passing through. This is not your resting place. You're just a traveler. You're a foreigner. You're, you're a sojourner. You're a stranger in a strange place. When you become a follower of Christ, he puts you into a new place of citizenship. We're going to talk about that in a minute. So chapter 1 is actually a powerful declaration of thankfulness to God. And we have Thanksgiving this week, and I think this is a perfect chapter to, to share the week of Thanksgiving. He says, uh, we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 10, and he says this. He says, concerning this salvation... He's talking about the salvation of Jesus Christ. This is only found in him through the shed blood of, of Christ on the cross. He says, through this salvation in Jesus, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care. See, the message of Jesus was not a novelty. It was not a new message. The prophets for thousands of years were speaking and pointing and talking about Jesus. Jesus was a fulfilled promise, and we see this again and again in the New Testament. This was not something new. The Old Testament spoke of it, prepared for it, pointed to it, and different people stand and point to it throughout. It's like this. The Old Testament's going, that away, that away, and the New Testament is, I'm right here. I have... The point of the Old Testament points to the presence of Jesus in the New Testament. He is the arrival so the prophets, he says, have been talking about this for thousands of years. Verse 11, trying to find out the time and the circumstances to which the spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The prophets were looking for the day that they saw. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. This is kind of cool to think that they knew that this message, whenever they spoke of the Messiah, was not for their generation. And Peter was saying this, it wasn't for their generation, it's for ours. We saw it. 
we got to see him in our lifetime. And he goes, when they spoke of the things prophetically that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel and by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, he says, man, we now know what they've been talking about. And I've been preaching to you the message that all these prophets for thousands of years have been pointing to. And this is a cool little phrase that says, even the angels long to look into these things. Now, I want you to know this. When we're diving into 1 Peter, I want you to know this is this. God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing for thousands of years. In fact, you're going to see something show up again in this section that we're going to read this morning that echoes this exact same thing. God has not made a mistake. He does not make mistakes. He is totally aware of everything that's going on at all times in the universe, on the planet, and in your life. He doesn't make a mistake. His ways are not like ours. His plan is unfolding and we are the cast members in his story. That's what history is. It's his story. But I want you to notice that phrase. Not only does God know what he's doing, but it says even the angels long to look at these things. That means that heaven is watching. So God knows and heaven is watching. The unfolding of God's plan is something even the angels are watching. Angels are not omniscient. That means they don't know all things. They, they only heard the message of Jesus and they, they believed it because they're his servants and they're, you know, they're wise to believe it. But they have this sense that they are still actually in the crowd watching in the celestial heavens, watching and waiting and seeing what will unfold. They are not all-knowing, only the Lord is. 1 Corinthians 4 9, Paul says this, he says, For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of the procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. He says, man, those of us who are followers of Christ during the time of Paul and Peter in the early church, they were getting arrested and persecuted, thrown into the arena. And he says, man, I guess we're just on display for the world to see. And he says, we have made, they made a spectacle to the whole universe, to the angels as well as to human beings. Man, the angels are watching. Angels are real. They're, they're angelic. They are heaven's messengers and servants of God. And they watch in amazement and grow in their understanding, the Bible says. This is what Hebrews 12.1 says this. And this is kind of what, what Peter is echoing here. In Hebrews 12.1, he says, uh, the writer says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such great cloud of witnesses. Who is this great cloud of witnesses in heaven? Well, it's those that have gone on before us in Christ and the angelic beings. Heaven is watching. He says, since we have this great cloud of witnesses, these, these beings and those that have gone on before us watching in heaven. He says, since they're watching, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. The word there is snare. It's like a trap. I want you to imagine like a bear trap. You know, it's like just grabs you. He says, man, let go of those things. You think they got you. No, you got it. He says, it's time to let go of the snares and the things that try to uh, easily trap you and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. All of heaven is watching and cheering us on. And this kind of blows my mind when I start thinking about this because I have some family that I love that have gone on to be with the Lord. And I think, you know, those in Christ have gone on. My mom is up there going, you got this, son. You got it. Keep going. You know? 
And if you have a mom or a dad, a brother, a sister, a grandma, a gra- I know my grandma was cheering me on. She was the most vocal person in Christ I ever know, uh, knew. And um, maybe a child, a brother, a sister, friends, they're up there going, you have this. Don't quit. Don't give up. Since we have this great cloud of witnesses watching, they're saying, throw off the chains. Throw off the chains. God is with you. Run this race. Don't quit. Don't give in. He goes on to say this, verse 2, Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. What are your eyes on? Fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who's, who set the pace, who has who's pioneered the way, the one who's, who's perfected our faith. He says this, he says, for the joy set before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. What's the joy that he saw on the cross? What's the joy that he could have felt while those nails were being pounded into his hands and his feet and he was being whipped? What was, what was the joy? I'll tell you the joy. The joy was you. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He saw you on the cross. When he was on the cross, he saw you. He endured that. He says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. That's a reference to his resurrection and his ascension. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It's like, because not only is I love this, the prophets have prepared the way. Heaven is cheering you on. God is empowering you. And they're all saying, you've got this. And with that, Paul says this in verse 13. With this in mind, uh, Peter says this in First Peter. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober. Now, I've got some clocks up here, and um, I actually have them set to go off, so we'll see if they'll go off at different times, hopefully. But maybe you're prone to hit that snooze when you get up in the morning. You know, this is the picture that we have here. The idea is that Paul is saying, wake up. Wake up. Wake up up. He's saying, it's time to get up. Get your head in the game. And I like these alarms. It's like when it, when it goes off, I mean, you, maybe you're prone to just, you know, knock it off. How many of you have your alarm clock across the room by any chance? Anybody? Because you know that you're just, yeah. It used to be me. Now I'm like, I'm like one of those guys that I hit it and I'm up. I don't, I rarely hit the snooze. Um, I have no, but when I was younger, I had to put it across the room on the dresser, you know, and, and now they have these alarm clocks that have um, like math problems. Have you seen these things? They have math problems uh, to get your brain clicking so you can't, you can't hit the snooze to turn it off until you solve the math problem. I'm like, <laughs> that's awesome. Some of you guys need to wake up, wake up. And this is what Paul is saying. He says, well, Wake up, be alert. Take this seriously. I like how the King James and the New King James used to say, they would say, he said, he would say, um, uh, therefore with minds that are alert and they would say, and gird your, gird the loins of your mind. What's that mean, gird the loins? Do they mean? Is that this one? Okay. I tell you, they're going to be going off. Wake up. He says, gird the loins of your mind. That means 
I like this. The picture is like you've got these, this belt of, of like a warrior. He, he girds his loins. He prepares for battle. And so Paul is saying, listen, wake up. Stop being sloppy in the way that you're thinking. Prepare yourself. Prepare your mind for battle. Prepare. Get ready for action. And then he says this. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. I want you to know this. There's a different citizenship. And the whole letter is all about being different. And here he's talking about different thinking. Different thinking. We need to wake up and take serious two things that he says we need to take serious. This is the first one. He says this in uh, verse 13 and 14. He says, therefore with minds that are alert and fairly sober, as obedient children, that means to the Father, God the Father, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. I want you to write this down. Realize this, that your flesh and your old habits are at work against you. Wake up. Wake up. If you are a Christian, your old self is not your friend. And it will work against you every day. Now, no show of hands. You do not have to raise your hand on this. But how many of you, again, don't raise your hand, rhetorical question. Uh, you'll understand when the question is asked. How many of you have done some pretty dumb things before Jesus? You can shake your head, I guess. <laughs> Not afraid. Of, yeah, we've, we have. Most of us have, have all done pretty dumb things. How many of you are still doing some pretty dumb things after Jesus? Yeah, we're, we're still having to, this, this struggle with the old man, the old self, the old nature. Paul is saying, listen, wake up. You need to be aware that your flesh is changing you. Uh, sorry, chasing you, and that you're, you're, you need to be aware of your weaknesses. You know, your weaknesses and my weaknesses are different. The things that I struggle with are not going to be the same things that you struggle with. But I need to know what I struggle with. I need to be aware. I need to wake up. I need to wake up and be conscious and aware of the things that I know that will pull me and, and tear me down, that will uh, try to make war against me. These desires will try to pull at you. And Paul is saying, wake up. He says, be aware. Do not conform to the evil desires of your old sinful nature. The way that you lived before in ignorance when you didn't know any better. Well, some of you, you know better and you're still doing it. Wake up. These things are not your friend. These habits are not your friends. He's saying, don't go back. You think different now. Wake up, be aware, take seriously two things. First thing is that your flesh and your old habits are at war against you. And then he says another wake up in 1 Peter 5, 8, a little bit later in this letter. He says this, he says, be alert and sober-minded. Same phrase again. He says, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So he says this, wake up and realize this, that the devil is an enemy that is at work against you. So not only is your flesh at work against you, but there's a real enemy. There's a devil. There's a deceiver. The Old Testament called him the adversary. The adversary is against you. He is a war. While your flesh is pulling at you, so is the enemy 
pulling at you. You need to wake up and be aware that neither one of these are your friends. Neither one of them are your friends. Be mature and hear this. Be ready. Prepare yourself. He's saying Satan works to persuade, to deceive, and to distract you and your family. Listen, wake up. The devil does not love you. He does not love your family. He does not love the people uh, that you care for. In fact, he doesn't just not love them. He hates them. He hates your family. He hates your children. He has it out for your children and for your, for your husband, for your wife, for your family. Wake up. Your flesh is at war and the enemy and adversary is at war with you. He says, wake up. It's time to be mature about this. He is real and he's looking to devour you. I, I often think of this picture of a, of a lion devouring an antelope. And which antelope does he pick to devour? The sick and the lonely. Those that are away from the herd are the most susceptible to attack. Those that are not in a healthy place in their life are the most susceptible to attack. And the enemy is looking for those who are isolating themselves. Those that are disconnected from the body, from the herd. He's looking for those that are spiritually unhealthy. He's seeking to whom he may devour. The flesh and Satan. You might think, well, this is exhausting. Man. I'll be spending my whole life, you know, fighting my flesh and Satan. Well, Peter says this. He says, rest in this. Going back to 1 Peter 1.13. He says, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, he says, set your hope. The word there, the phrase there means in the original, rest on this hope. Rest in this. Settle on this. That the grace to be brought to you, that there's a grace, set your hope on this, that the grace to be brought to you in Jesus Christ, at his revealing, uh, at his coming, is basically his coming. He's saying this, keep your head on straight. Jesus is coming, and his return will bring an end to the struggle. But until then, fight on. Till then, throw off the chains, throw off the snares. Until then, set the alarm and wake up. Satan and your flesh and your desires are at war. There's a foe. Take them seriously, but this won't last forever. Then Peter says something that almost seems impossible. He says this in verse 15. But just as he, God, who is holy, um, uh, just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And I, I used to read that. And I'm like, holy? How can I be holy? God is holy. I'm not holy. I mean, he just said, man, your flesh is a war against you. The devil is a war against you. And then he said, oh, yeah, you need to be holy. I'm like, I can't be holy. How can I be holy? And the Bible, Jesus himself said, there is no one who is holy other than God, other than the Father, there's no one. I'm like, how in the world could Peter challenge us to be holy? Because there's an understanding here that is not, he's not asking us for perfection. He's asking. Okay. Alarm number two. Wake up. Take this serious. He says this. It's about this. This is what the holiness is about. The word holy there, it means set apart. It means different. 
And he says, be separate as I am separate. Be different as I am different. Be set apart as I am set apart. There's a different way of thinking and a different way of doing life. Here's the second thing is that he's saying this, is that in Christ you have a different position. You have a different position with God and the world. Think about it like this. God is a part and separate wholly from his creation. In his nature and in his attributes, he is holy and separate, different from anything you can ever imagine. But instead of building a wall around himself, he invites us in Jesus to come and share in his apartness, his separateness, his differentness, his holiness. And we are then taken from a position of separation and put into a position of holiness. And this is what he's saying. We are made holy not by our actions. We are made holy by the act of Christ. We are made holy only through him. We are moved into position. This was your old man, your old life, your old self, your old habits, still at war with you, still doesn't like you, still wants to bring you down, still wants to trip you up, persuade you, trick you. But God has put you in a new position in him. And with that new position comes a different way of thinking, a different way of acting, a different way of of processing life. And this position is a position of holiness. He says, now you are holy in position by Christ. Now you are to be holy. Walk out this position that you have. As one's made holy, we are set apart for his purpose. We are positioned into a new place in him. That process of looking less and less like our old self and more and more like our new self is called sanctification. It's the process of set apart. We are set apart. Now we are to move in that mirroring of what that looks like in Christ. He goes on to say this, verse 17. Since you call on or pray to and know a father who judges each person's work impartially, that means every one of us is going to have to give an account to God for our own self. Your wife won't be there. Your husband won't be there. Your parents won't be there. Your kids won't be there. Uh, When you have to give an account to your life, to God, he says, he judges impartially Because of that, because we're just passing through, live out our time as foreigners here in reverent fear. You know, when I was a kid, we used to go like to people's houses and my mom would give us the talk before we went into a house. Do you ever get those talks? Remember when those kids, she was like, don't you be acting a fool inside, right? Don't, don't scream, don't be yelling, just be quiet. It's the talk, be on your best behavior because if you don't, when you get home, your dad's gonna whoop you, right? You're gonna get a spanking, you're gonna get disciplined or you're gonna get grounded or something. You don't want the wrath of the father if you act a fool at somebody's house, right? So be on your best behavior because you're a guest. You're just here for a little while, so don't make yourself too at home. Don't kick your shoes off and dig around in the refrigerator and, and, and decide that you're gonna, you know, mess up the house because you're just passing through. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying this. He says, you're just a guest. You're just passing through. Be on your best behavior because you will have to account for this life that you live to the Father one day. And this is the next thing. In Christ, not only are you called into a different position, but you're also called into different actions that we are to live differently. It says in light of the fact that we're passing through, we are to live differently. 
Next week, as we begin chapter two, Paul really dives into what that means. And we're going to unpack this next week. But I want you to know this. As someone who is a guest passing through, we're just foreigners, just strangers. Remember to walk with humility and reverence, he says, before a holy God who we will have to give an account to. That's why he says, be holy as I am holy. It's a different position and it's a different action. Being a Christian is not a ticket to live like hell. Actually, you're made to be holy through Christ, and now we are to be holy in Christ. He goes on to say, we're going to talk about this next week quite a bit in chapter 2. Verse 18, he says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. I love that passage. And I want you to know this, that in Christ you have different ownership. You have different ownership. We are positioned by God and we are a possession of God. Now, I have got to take a quick break and I'm going to have a donut break. Anybody here want a donut? Are you sure? All right. How do you have one of these? Help yourself. Have a donut. Anybody else want a donut? Who? You want a donut? Hold on a second. Mine, 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 mine. Would you like a donut? I licked it. It's okay. That's mine. You're rare breed right there. It's the power of a donut. Donuts are powerful. Here's the point. Most of you are like, uh, no. This is what God says. God has not only taken us <laughs> into a position, but he's also taken us into possession. It's like Jesus has gone, mine, 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 mine. Here. You want to still? Okay. Mine. Okay. I love donuts. Don't be mad at me. Okay. Oh, so good today. It's like, this is what Jesus is saying. He said, you know what? You're mine. I take claim to you. He says, mine, 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 if you are his. He takes you out of an old place into a new possession. It says, into a position and to a possession of mine. And I love what, 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 Peter says here and how he relays this, he says this so powerfully, this new ownership means that you were bought. It means that you were bought. We'll talk about this new ownership for a second. This, this means that we were bought and, and he says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. You're not, you're not purchased by, with a purse or with possessions. He says, but you were redeemed. The word there is bought and I'm gonna explain that in a minute. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The word redeem in the ancients was actually a word that was uh, comparable to a ransom. And it was actually a slave term. What it meant is that if there was a person who was enslaved to an owner, that someone would come and ransom them, purchase their freedom, would redeem them into a new life and new ownership and into a new service of life. And that is what the image that they got. So when, they, when he says redeem, they're like, yes, I am free. I'm no longer a slave. I was ransomed. We're like, oh, redeem. That's a kind of a biblical Christianized word, right? But he's saying, no, this is about being purchased. 
This is about being bought. This purchase is unique. Silver and gold, he said, can't save you. Possessions can't save you. People can't save you. Positive thinking can't save you. Meditation, achievements, trips, good deeds, they can't save you. But it was only bought. Paul says this in Galatians 3.13. Christ bought or redeemed us with his blood and made us free. This cross was a purchase. That cross, that bloody cross was an exchange of payment. That's why he declared it is finished, which means paid in full. We are bought by the blood. We are the bought blood children of the lamb if you are a child of God. Man, I can say I'm bought by the blood of the lamb. I'm purchased through the blood of Jesus. You are bought. New ownership also means that you are claimed. That means that as one who is bought, you are one who is wanted. Like those donuts that I just licked. Mine, 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 mine. Jesus says, you are mine. You are mine. I want you. I want you. Nobody else can have you. Nobody else is going to have you now because you're mine and you belong to me. And you are claimed. In Christ, you are his. New ownership also means that you have a new boss. It means that... Uh, you are under new ownership as with a new boss. Now, have you ever gone to a restaurant that you think you'll never go back to ever again? Anybody? The food was bad. The service was bad. And it just, it was weird. But have you ever seen one of those places and it had a big banner and said, under new management or under new ownership? And something in you said, you know what? I think I might try that out again. I think I'll, because you go expecting it to be different. Because with new ownership, there's a new way of doing things. And when you become a child of God, there's like a banner that's, that's hung all over your life spiritually. And it should be evident to those around you that you are under new management. And with that new management, yes, you should be different. It's expected to be different with new management. Same with you. 1 Corinthians 6.20, Paul says, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God. As a result of this purchase, honor God with your bodies. A new boss has a new way of doing things. Jesus says, your body is mine. Honor me with it, with your attitude, with your actions, and with your choices. Peter references an empty way of life passed down in verse 18. He says this, you were redeemed, bought from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. So many try to fill the emptiness with physical things, material possessions, emotional things, with people and relationships, but they will only leave us empty. The whole and our soul can only be filled with the precious blood of the lamb. And I want you to know this, write this down. No matter what was passed down to you in your life, Jesus redeems, restores, and remakes. Your life that was passed down to you from your parents or from that situation, from that marriage, from that abuse, from that poor choices of your life, whatever was passed down to you, that abuse, that negative heritage, that addiction, that anger, that darkness, whatever was passed down to you, Jesus redeems. He restores. He remakes. And he says this in verse 18, we were bought with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. There's no greater price that was ever paid for our salvation. Nothing in anybody could ever purchase or pay for what he did. Precious is that blood that flowed, the old song says. 
Salvation is a gift freely given, but it was not freely purchased. It costs like nothing else. That blood was not cheap. Jesus, the sinless, spotless, perfect in every way, Lamb of God, God himself in the flesh, poured out his precious, priceless blood. This cost shows his great love for you. And if you ever start to doubt, does God really love me? Just look to the cross. How precious was that blood that flowed for you, for his love for you. Verse 20, he says, he, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Before the foundation of the world, the cross was in place, the mission was in place before God said, let there be light. His sovereignty and his power to redeem you was at work before he ever created a human, but it was revealed in their life, and now we know it too. It was bought long ago. I'll say it again. God Almighty knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. They saw the cross as a defeat. They saw the cross as a loss. But it was a victory. And God knows what you're going through. He knows what loss you're going through. He knows what defeat you're going through. And if you are in Christ, it is a victory that is waiting for you. You may not see it now or understand it, but God knows what he's doing. We see this throughout 1 Peter 21. Through him, Jesus, you believed in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. This is the last thing I want to focus on. We're going to do the next one uh, next week, and that is in Christ we have a different hope. And Dave shared this last week a little bit, but he dives in right here that our hope is not in the things that we see, it's not in the things that we have, it's not in the things that we acquire, it's not uh, in the things that we dream or wish for, our hope is in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our hope for our body, our hope for our sickness, our hope in death, our hope in the life that is to come, how do we know that it's true? How can we know that it's true? Peter says this because the grave is empty and because the grave is empty, we know that it's true because the tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. This world has nothing that will last. If we can get this in our head, we will live untethered from this world, pursuing and ready to follow Jesus. But we often set our eyes on what is in front of us. So what are you chasing? What are you pursuing? What are your eyes fixed on? As we said in Hebrews, Jesus is calling us to a clear perspective of what is important. Wake up. Wake up. Wake up. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much, God, that you in your spirit hopefully is waking us up to the reality of an enemy that is real, that you are waking us up to the reality that our flesh is still trying to drag us and pull us down and we need to be alert and aware that we are different. God, that we have a different position, a different that we are a different possession in you, God, that we are claimed. God, that we have a different way of thinking and a different way of acting, God. God, we have a different hope, Father, that we can rest in, that this is all true. God, I pray that through your power, God, you would give us that sense of hope and strength. 
Maybe you're here right now and it's time for you to wake up. It's time for you to wake up and realize the devil is not your friend. Some of those people in your life, your old life that are pulling you down, they're not healthy for you. And it's time to wake up and realize that. It's time to realize some of those habits that you play with and toy with and allow into your life, they're not going to be your friend. They lie to you. Lust is a lie. It can't give you what you want. It only satisfies you for a moment and then it's gone. It lies and it will tear your family, your life, your heart, your relationship with God apart. Wake up. God, I thank you, Lord, that you're waking us up right now. Will you just take a moment and just talk to God about what is snaring you as we read in Hebrews, that trap. Maybe you can identify a trap in your life right now. Think about it for a second. What is entrapping you right now? You know what it is. Confess it before the Lord. You know what it is. God, I release this snare, this trap. God, I release this, Father. Wake me up, Father. Give me strength to be under accountability with this and to, to, to confess this before those that can help me, Lord. God, I need your strength and I need your help. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.